Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying solo for a little bit here. We got Stephen Lassen back for his weekly appearance. Going to do a real deep dive here on Auburn's coaching search now that Brian Horson officially fired. If you missed it, we did a little emergency podcast here Monday afternoon as soon as that was officially announced by the Auburn Tigers. We've got some other news and notes around the league, and we preview all the games, including a big old deep dive on the two huge matchups, Tennessee at Georgia, Alabama at LSU with Steven. So it's a great, great show, but let's just get right into it because so much to cover here, and we got to start on the planes. Something I hit on in that emergency podcast most likely interim candidate there for the Auburn Tigers. Running backs coach Cadillac Williams has been named the interim coach there for the Auburn Tigers, and they say they are going to run the hell out of the ball down there. Finally, get Tank and Jarquez going. That's your best bet if you're an Auburn Tigers. It would be fascinating to see how they respond against Mississippi State this weekend without Harson. Not that Harson was holding them back or anything, although he kind of was, but it'd just be interesting to see also because, hey, Cadillac's been making moves. He may be trying to win this job. He's fired the offensive coordinator, Eric Casale. He's fired the tight ends coach, Brad Biddle. He's fired the recruiting coordinator. He's fired Harson's chief of staff. He's hired the general manager and director of scouting and development. All those people gone immediately after Harson. Let go here on Monday. So, hey, this is going to be a new direction for them Auburn Tigers. And leading the charge, of course, John Cohen has officially been announced. The former Mississippi State AD, now Auburn AD. And it's just fascinating that it's the same game week here. Auburn at Mississippi State AD jumping ship midweek. That's fascinating, but also interesting it was reported that Auburn made a run at Arkansas AD, Hunter Juracic, and Arkansas managed to lock him down with a contract extension and a raise. We all know the fine work that Juracic has done there at Arkansas. So hired Sam Pittman, turned around the football program, hired Eric Musselman, turned around the basketball program, their baseball, one of the best in the SEC. Things have been great. At Arkansas, I believe if you if you look at all the sports, all the championships here in recent years, Arkansas leads the way. So Hunter Juracek doing just an outstanding job. I believe he came over from Houston. But the fact that he said no to Auburn, that's got to give you a little pride here if you're an Arkansas Razorback. And after that was reported, Juracek released a statement here. I'll throw it up on Twitter just kind of confirming his commitment to Arkansas. But it's fascinating. Auburn looking for basically any SEC AD willing to jump down there on the planes. Treacherous job in some sense with the boosters and all the people, their hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. But again, this is a program that can win the national championship. They should be competing for SEC championships. They're so close to Georgia. Alabama's loaded with talent. 
not to Georgia's level, but you're close to Florida. You're you border Tennessee. You border Mississippi. I mean, their radius from their school, you can build a championship roster. Of course, we know that with uh, just their recent history and Alabama and Georgia, what they've been able to do. So an ideal position if you can get everyone moving in the right direction. That's going to be the biggest challenge of John Cohen's career, along with uh, nailing this football hire, this all-important football hire. And, of course, speaking of that, so Mississippi State now without an AD, and we had Mike Leach, as only he, he could, giving his advice to the next AD, whoever that may be there in Sarkville. Obviously, you, you know, you've been at Mississippi State a few years now. I guess what would your pitch be, you know, to a new person interested in, in being the athletic director? Why, why is being the athletic director at Mississippi State a good job in your eyes? Oh, I think it's a great job because this is a great place to live. And then also, you know, the people you work with are, are great too. At least, uh, you know, it's not perfect. I, I would definitely purge a couple, but not very many. I mean, I less here than most places. And so that, that, that immediately sticks it above uh, – you know, uh, other places. Uh, so I think it's a fantastic place. I think it's a very down-to-earth place. And I think it's a pragmatic place that, um, <clears throat> you know, that uh, tries to figure out solutions to problems rather than uh, <clears throat> get wound up, uh, you know, politically kissing too many rings. I mean, they're trying to solve the problem, which is, I think, the correct approach. <coughs> <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> I think that, uh, hang on, I got a cough. <clears throat> um, well, and then, you know, the biggest thing, you want a guy that uh, really wants to be here, really wants to do it, and uh, uh, and you, <clears throat> you want a guy that uh, stays out of your way, that understands that, uh, you know, the coaches for all the sports, they're there for, for a reason. And the athletic director's role is to provide support, not coach, you know. And uh, those those athletic directors are the best ones. I've had the – I've been really lucky. I've been around some great athletic directors. Um, when I was at Kentucky, C.M. Newton was the athletic director. Um, when uh, I was at Oklahoma, Joe Castiglione was the athletic director. <clears throat> when I was at uh, Washington State, Bill Moose was the athletic director. Uh, so we need somebody that's like, uh, like uh, <clears throat> really either of those three. As a matter of fact, we, maybe we ought to call Bill. Who knows? <laughs> so I just had to play that. I mean, that was too good not to play uh, <laughs> all this episode. But next, hey, let's move it all down to Florida where, whew, coming off a big loss against your arch rival Georgia, big game here on the road at Texas A&M. And how's the week start? Brenton Cox, one of your best players, dismissed from the team. And it was interesting because this was reported, I believe, by On3 Sports before anybody. And Trey Dean, defensive back down there in Gainesville, he tweeted, this is not true, but of course it was true. Billy Napier confirmed it himself. It's just a sign of what's going on down there. I mean, a lack of communication, players, active players, not knowing who's on the team, who's been dismissed. You know, certainly this happened this morning, perhaps, and word just didn't leak out, but not a good look. 
Now, again, if he Cox, I don't I have no idea what he did, but if he, if he was causing an issue, if he wasn't buying into the Billy Napier era, you're better off without him. No players above the team. And here's what uh, old Billy Napier had to say on this. Again, as you'd expect, he's not given much specifics, but he did confirm the news. Brenton Cox no longer with the team. Just comment on the situation with Brenton and his status. Yeah, no, um, I appreciate you asking that question. You know, Brenton, um, you know, we've kind of decided to uh, move on here. You know, I think, um, um, you know, I think that being a, football player at the University of Florida is a, is a privilege, right? And there's certain expectations and standards that come with that. Um, Brenton's down, been here in his third year. Obviously, he's done a lot of good things um, for the University of Florida. And we wish him nothing but the best. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to make decisions in the best interest uh, of the team. And uh, certainly, Brenton, you know, we, we're going to do everything we can do to help him with his transition. Um, but as simple as that, you know, I think that, you know, we've we've decided to move on. Did he throw a punch at the end of that game against Georgia? Uh, you, Did Brenton throw a punch at the end of that game against Georgia? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, so what, what, is, what, is, what was the issue here with him? I mean, you're talking about just – Moving on, like, what did he do or didn't do that causes that prompted this decision? I don't know that we would get specific relative to the, you know, to what caused the decision. You know, I think it's more of a cumulative effect here. And adding a little uh, interesting, interesting little, and to add a, just a slightly to this story. This is pretty wild. I mean, I almost hesitate to even play this clip, but <laughs> I don't know that I've seen or heard of this in the SEC year one with a coach. Hot mic here. We'll play it on the YouTube. It makes better sense if you're watching on YouTube, but these press conferences, a lot of times what happens is you're sitting around, you're waiting for the coach to arrive. The mic was rolling. YouTube, sometimes they're, they're filming. They're running just an empty podium. The mic is hot. These reporters clearly did not realize that the mic was recording what they were saying. And one of them, I'll try to turn it up so you can hear it. He's he's basically having a, an exchange with another reporter. And they're discussing how tough to go at Billy Napier. And one of them says, I don't give a fuck. I'll be here longer than Billy Napier. I can promise you that. Let's play that clip. Yeah, I do care, and I don't really want to say that. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's whack. And that, that's fine. And I respect that. I really do. I don't give a fuck, though. It's fine. I will be here. I will be here longer than Billy Nate's I can promise that. I can't. Yeah, you are. I'm not. I've got a long-term deal. Yeah. So, I, hey, I sent this over to Cousin Shane, and he said, well, there's nothing wrong with what he just said. That reporter, <laughs> he may be there a long time. So there's some truth to that, Billy Napier in year one. But, th again, this is not what you want to be hearing about your head coach. I, I realize things are not going well for Billy Napier year one. I didn't see that coming, but it's not like this is stunning. I mean, they're 
for the most part, kicking ass on the recruiting trail. I realize they they missed on a big five-star the other day. They've got other five-stars thereafter. They've uh, not landed a five-star, I don't believe, under his tenure. But you know, we, we've not even had a full recruiting cycle down there. He's got a top 10 recruiting class. Things are trending in the right direction. I'm not selling stock in Billy Napier, but it's just fascinating that uh, we've got a media member saying this about the head coach at a damn press conference before the coach walks in again. The only thing I can say was similar to this was I I heard basically this, a similar comment about Butch Jones at SEC Media Days, but this was even a South Carolina reporter that was saying that, you know, the Butch, his ass, he'll be gone before you know it. <laughs> this was at... Uh, 2017 media days and and about three months two three months later butch was fired so hey guess that guy knew what he was talking about huh and we'll find out if this guy knows what he's talking about about billy napier two other quick little items here before we get to our interview with steven lassen i just thought this was hilarious brian kelly some people hate him some people love him they sure do love him down there in Baton rouge and they'll love him a lot more if he can beat nick saban but uh apparently it's Nick Saban's birthday, Halloween, how interesting. Sold his soul to the devil, if I had to guess. Brian Kelly wishes Nick Saban a happy birthday. Well, it's a big day, as you know. It's Nick Saban's birthday, so I want to wish him a happy birthday to start this off, and maybe that'll soften things up uh, a little bit. Um, but uh, you can, you can uh, always start a press conference by throwing a little happy birthday wish out to your uh your opposing uh coach (laughs) i just thought that was funny he's got a weird sense of humor but i like it and last but not least kentucky that offensive performance was god awful against tennessee you scored six points No need to rehash all that. But Mark Stoops ain't taking it, lying down. He is – he didn't mention Rick Scangarello here, but clearly that's who he's talking about. Not happy with the offense. Not happy with his play caller. Mark Stoops, shots fired for his offensive coordinator. Mark, I asked you after the game just about overall the the state where the offense is right now. After you watch the film, kind of just where do you think – the progress has been made, and are you so confident that this is the system that works? Well, I mean, it, you know, obviously you're not very pleased with that result. I mean, that, that's hard to say after a game like that because, um, it, once again, I mean, I'm smart enough to not to get a headline out of, out of me with uh, acting like I'm pleased with that performance because I'm clearly not, and uh, nobody should be. Um, so you have to always look at things and evaluate things and, and see the good and the bad and where you're falling short and, and you know, what else are you going to do? I mean, there, there's nothing drastic. I mean, you certainly better look at it and you better address it and you better get it fixed or you're not going to last. But, again, we've been through it. And, uh, you know, there's some areas where everybody can do better, you know, where we could certainly coach better, we could put them in better position, uh, guys can step up and make plays. You know, we could, you know, personnel, you name it, injury. But there, there's enough blame to go around. And uh, we are constantly evaluating, constantly looking at things and, and striving uh, to be better. Ooh, boy. 
Now, I mean, if that's what he's saying in a press conference, I can only imagine what he's saying behind closed doors. But this is vastly different. I've, I've seen it from South Carolina people already. This is vastly different than what old Shane Beamer, the, the approach down there. And this, Mark Stoops, say what you want about him. He has been in the SEC a long time. He knows what the hell he's talking about. He knows how to stay in this league. He knows how to be competitive in this league for a long, long time. And he's he's hitting the nail on the head. This offense ain't getting it done. We better get this fixed or your ass going to be gone. I love this. I really do. And maybe this lights a fire under somebody's ass up there in Lexington. And maybe they stop doing promos with Steve Zod and, and study that playbook. I don't know. But whatever the issue is, got to get it fixed with uh, some big-time SEC games and a rivalry to close out the season in Kentucky. Remember, Kentucky's not even bowl eligible yet. So they have still got work to do, and it's got to start with this offense turning the corner. That's all the audio clips that I got prepared for you guys. Let's kick it over to our interview with Stephen Lassen, Athlon Sports. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by a friend of the show, Stephen Lassen. Of course, you know him from Athlon Sports. Give him a follow at Athlon Stephen on Twitter. And don't forget to check out his outstanding YouTube channel, All CFB365. Stephen, thanks for joining us once again. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Mike. It's good to talk to you, especially on a week where there's nothing going on in the SEC. <laughs> slow matchup, slow news. No, in all seriousness, it's it's great to talk to you and uh, looking forward to breaking down what should be a potentially monumental week in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, a monster, monster weekend, Stephen. Of course, that's what we really want to talk to you about on this episode. But, you know, we all got thrown, I don't want to call it a curveball because I think we all knew it was coming, but why in the world Auburn decided to fire Brian Harson, uh, you know, a week following a bye will remain a mystery, but uh, we know you at Athlon, you know, that's a lot of what you guys do replacements. You talk to coaches year round. So let's start right there, Stephen, Brian Harson, given the ax at Auburn, uh, who are the, some of the top candidates in your mind to take over as the next coach on the plains? You know, I think there's a couple obvious candidates here, and I think we can look at the last search as sort of a tell of where this one is going. And, and by that, I mean they're going to hire somebody who's got experience in the SEC. Um, John Cohen, of course, being the new athletic director coming over from Mississippi State, it kind of tells us where everything is going to go, and, and rightfully so. I think Auburn needs a coach who can definitely um, embrace recruiting much more than Brian Harson did. And not to mention, I think just knows the SEC ins and outs. So I think it's, you know, the list of candidates for me starts with Lane Kiffin uh, over at Ole Miss because I think he certainly understands the SEC. But more than anything, I think Lane gets the, you know, 2022, 2023 era of college football, which is NIL, transfer portal, recruiting, how to build a team. I think he gets all that. And he's a great fit, of course, in the SEC. He would be at the top of the list for me. Hugh Freeze is another name. I mean, he, you know, his distant at Ole Miss, he's been winning at Liberty. I also think, you know, in terms of just SEC experience and and all that, he's got it at, at um, being the head coach at Ole Miss before. So I think just having coaches with SEC background, experience, offense, uh, transfer portal, NIL experience, like both those names to me check off the boxes. I wouldn't be surprised if some other names get into it, but to me, like those seem to be the two coaches that are probably the most likely to be the next 
uh, coach at Auburn. That's interesting, Stephen. So let, let me let's start with Lane Kiffin because we all know he's doing a heck of a job down there at Ole Miss. Like you said, he's he's the portal king down there, so he could flip this roster fairly quickly, I would assume. And um, you know, I should have mentioned it. You know, reports they tried to hire away Arkansas's AD. So it goes to your point. They're trying to stay within the SEC. Obviously, getting John Cohen speaks to that, and he's been in that state, seen what Lane Kiffin's done. Lane Kiffin. Uh, undefeated against Mississippi State in that Egg Bowl rivalry. So but let me ask you this. Any, you know, at Ole Miss, I, I, t- I spoke to with uh, Neil McCready a couple weeks ago, and I asked him this kind of the same thing. Why would Lane Kiffin stay there when it seems like every offseason we got we got to hear the rumor mill about Lane and, and Miami and, and this job and that job. And even Auburn, apparently a year ago, he was kind of posturing to to try to get in down there. I guess what I'm trying to ask you, Stephen, is all the all the hoopla. I mean, he is he is basically the face of Ole Miss. And if he's Auburn's coach, he's not going to be the face of Auburn. I truly don't believe. I mean, they even got his freaking dog, Stephen, as like the unofficial mascot of Ole Miss, and he gets away with murder down there. Do you think that would be an issue at Auburn, or do you think they would just kind of hand him the keys and say, well, he's a hell of a coach, develops these quarterbacks, develops offenses, adapts to his personnel. I mean, he does check a ton of the boxes that you just referenced, but it, I don't know if it would be the Lane Kiffin show on the planes, if, if that makes sense. Is that an obstacle at all in your mind? It's a good question. You know, I, I think the the things that I keep going back to about Auburn are you can win a national championship here. I think you can, you can at Ole Miss. I just think it probably takes more to – fall into your uh, category. You need a lot more to break right. And especially maybe in the 12, the era of the 12 team playoff going forward, that helps teams like Ole Miss a lot. You know, you, you don't, now you have to get past Alabama in the 12 team era. You could get to second and still make the, the 12 team playoff. So I think opportunities for places like Ole Miss get better in a 12 team playoff as far as chasing the national championship. But when it comes to Auburn, you know, they have everything that you want to win a national championship. I mean, they have access to top flight talent. I think for based upon reporting, they're ready to go all in on NIL. We know Lane can do the transfer portal. Um, money, money's not going to be an issue. I mean, look at the buyouts to Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson. I mean, they're going to pay those guys, you know, insane amounts of money uh, to not coach. So I, I think to me, it's if you're looking at this just from – um, from the view of like, what's the better job? It is Auburn. Uh, so I think that would weigh heavily in my mind. Now, to your point on being the face of the program, yeah, I could see that. Like, as far as being like, maybe he goes to Auburn and isn't necessarily uh, the face of that program. But I also think Lane Kiffin can make himself into the you know, the kind of the show at Auburn because of his ability to. We see what he does on Twitter all the time. We saw what he did Saturday night to Jimbo Fisher. Uh, he sort of just is sort of the kind of the the ringleader when you go to a program. And so I, I don't know if it's necessarily an obstacle. I think if you're Lane Kiffin and you're, and you're looking at it from national championship potential, where can you win at a higher level? I think it's Auburn. And to me, that and if I was weighing the two jobs, that would weigh. The other thing is always when it comes to Auburn is all the other stuff, the alignment, um, that we saw in the last coaching search. And that would be a question that I think Auburn has to answer going forward. Now, it does seem like by hiring John Cohen and some of the other things that we've seen, they are trying to get aligned going forward. So that, to me, might be the biggest sticking point in all that is selling to coaches that all that stuff that happened in the past and the last coaching search and then after the 2021 season, that's in the past. Auburn's ready to move forward. 
Now, Hugh Freeze, the other name you mentioned, Stephen, I got to be completely transparent. I'm not a fan of him personally. Um, kind of had some dealings with him, but hey, I'm trying to take off my uh, my biased hat here. He's everything you want in an SEC coach. Fun offense, develops quarterbacks. He's beaten everybody in the league. He's and he's kind of a scumbag, which you got to be to recruit in this conference at times, particularly in this NIL era. So there's a lot to like about Hugh Freeze, but. Let me ask you this, because John Cohen was at Mississippi State for so long, we all know the history there. I mean, that was the most vitriolic rivalry in the SEC for people that know that well. I mean, they literally made documentaries on the shenanigans behind the scenes, Dan Mullen, Hugh Freeze, with John Cohen being involved in that university. I just don't think that there's any way he can look past that. Do you think that would be a sticking point for John Cohen to hire Hugh Freeze at Auburn? Yeah, I, I do. I think it can be. You know, I think the other part of this is too. You know, from the alignment at Auburn and like you're trying to get everybody from boosters to president to AD to get everybody on the same page. And like the question is going to be like, who do they want? And if they really want Hugh Freeze and if they're really going to get aligned and they're going to get all this money and everything to NIL, I think it could happen. Um, but I think to your point, yeah, I think there is some concerns about that. Plus, I just think. The baggage that comes from what happened at Ole Miss, yes, it has been a few years, but also I just, you know, would someone in the SEC office be okay with that coming in? You know, would it be okay for Hugh Freeze to come back to the SEC? So I, I think there are some obstacles that have to be overcome. Just my my personal belief is I don't know that anything, there's anything that would necessarily block, like it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a head coach in the SEC in the next couple of years. It just seems like it just checks off too many boxes, like you said. I mean, if you're Auburn, like, and you need to put some pressure on Kirby Smart and, and Nick Saban. The two coaches that do it on all the lists are Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze because of their ability to um, recruit, go into the portal, NIL, and not to mention the way that they run offenses and can recruit quarterbacks. So I think on both fronts, it just makes sense when your biggest rivals are competing to win national championships. You need to go out and get somebody who can threaten them, and both of those can do it. There's a, there's some say there's other coaches who can. It just seems like those two fit the profile the most of what Auburn is looking for. Now, I got a couple other coaches, Stephen, on my list here with SEC connections. Just give me your quick thoughts on, on these guys. Now, it might – well, let's get to the fired guys in a second. But I, well, I've shared on this show, Stephen, I've heard of other places as well, Eli Drinkwitz last offseason angled himself to try to get this job should Brian Arson get shown the door. Now he's shown the door. Maybe some of the luster has been, you know, off of, of drink after Missouri. But, hell, they just had a ranked win, Stephen. They got th they got four games left, and I think three of them are very winnable. And if – who knows? Maybe even that – I don't want to say that Tennessee game's winnable, but Tennessee coming off that Georgia game, if it's a heartbreaker against the Bulldogs, Tennessee – who knows, there could be a hangover effect in Missouri nearly knocked off Georgia. If they nearly knocked off Georgia, then I have to believe that if they put a perfect game together, they can perhaps beat Tennessee. Let's just imagine in a world where that happens, where Missouri catches the red hot, they, they win five in a row. Would that give you any uh, you know thought to, to drink landing that job, or did you think maybe he blew that by how god awful his team played? against Auburn earlier this year. Yeah, I, I think beating Auburn uh, certainly would have helped him. Uh, I do think, you know, to your point, if, if if Missouri builds a little bit of momentum, 
down the stretch here. And if they beat Kentucky, if, and that they'll beat, they should beat New Mexico State, and of course their games against Tennessee and Arkansas. So they have opportunities to improve uh, the overall resume. I, I think it would like if you put like into categories, Drinkowitz would probably be in that second tier of candidates for me. I think there are some other names who would rank higher. You know, for instance, someone like Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator at Baylor, um, Deion Sanders as well the Jackson state head coach. So I think he would be in the category of if things went really crazy, like the last two, uh, maybe the last Auburn uh, coaching search did, he could get in there, but I just, I don't know that there's enough there in terms of wins at this point to be able to say like, that's the guy they have to go and go out and get unless they just strike out on everyone else. Yeah, and you just hit on an interesting name, Stephen. A lot of these Auburn people, they the fans anyway, they're excited about Deion Sanders and coming off the game day appearance. He's doing a great job for Jackson State. But I don't know how much you follow Jackson State, Stephen. I don't follow them at all. i got to be perfectly honest. But from what I do know is they have a better roster than everybody they're facing with his ability to, to you know, let's give him credit. He's attracted that talent down there. But to me, that's kind of like an SEC team playing a G5 team and an average G5 team every week. I mean, he should be winning those games. Does Do you think there's something to Dion? I mean, we we do need a coach that's going to come in here and flip the talent, but I got no idea what kind of scheme he's going to be running. I got no idea how Dion is going to handle, you know, at Jackson State, I would imagine he answers to no one at Auburn. He's going to answer to a lot of people. This is a big-time job. This is not a circus down here. This is a team that that expects to compete and win championships. Is that a sticking point for Dion? do you think? I think it's a great question because I do think that is an unknown in all this. You know, if you look back at some of the coaching searches and there's been some sort of behind-the-scenes intel, and it always says, hey, people are really impressed when they – interview and talk to Deion Sanders about becoming a a P5 coach. There's a lot of people who think it's only a matter of time before he's a power five coach. I think he's got one thing working for him. That's so important. And that is recruiting. He can get talent, see Travis Hunter and last year's recruiting class. He's been great at getting people through the portal to come play at Jackson state. And of course, Deion's a great promoter too. I mean, look what he's done for that program, the spotlight being on Jackson state in some of those games in FCS, so I, I think that's always been the question for me is if you go to a place like Auburn where you're dealing with so many layers of, you know, your athletic director trying to play within the SEC, uh, you know, boosters, everything else, it is a different landscape to navigate. And I think that might get a little difficult uh, for, for a coach like Dion. He's certainly fascinating because of his ability to pull talent. And that's what you need at a place, um, you know, you need it anywhere, but at a place like Auburn, I mean, Deion Sanders going head to head with Kirby Smart and, and Nick Saban on the recruiting trail sounds pretty exciting, but I think that could be a, a potential sticking point to saying all that. I think he will be a power five coach in the near future. Don't know where it might be. Maybe it's a chance like Georgia tech interview interviews in this off season, but yeah, I would say if you're keeping a list of coaches to move up, Sanders is going to be very near the top of that list in the next couple of years. Now two fired SEC coaches that I, I think are great coaches, Stephen. I'm just curious what's your thoughts on on these, this fit. But number one, I go to obvious connection with John Cohen, Dan Mullen, who I think he's the best coach Mississippi State's ever had. I thought he did. You know, people will mock me for saying this, but I think he did a good job at Florida until 
obviously, you know, he tried to get into the NFL It blew up at his face and, and it quickly turned on him. But I mean, many new year six bowls, he won uh, the East. He, he nearly knocked off. He, his team was the, the closest that to knock off Alabama that year. They won the national championship. This is not like some idiot that don't know what he's doing. He, he clearly has made mistakes. That may be a tough sell to hire someone that just got fired uh, a year ago, but what would you, what were your thoughts be on Dan Mullen getting a, another, another opportunity in the SEC? I, I think he should. I, I, I've always been really high on Dan Mullen. To your point, it's, it's not easy to win at Mississippi State. It's the hardest job in the SEC West. And look at his track record there, you know, consistently winning, consistently developing quarterbacks and good offenses. And we saw this at Florida, too. And, and you mentioned, that, you know, the wheels kind of came off there at the at the end of uh, 2021, but they won the SEC East in 2020. But I think the big sticking point is recruiting. And if Brian Harson wasn't willing to recruit at the SEC level, he wasn't willing to get into the sandbox and try to compete with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and all these others. If Dan Mullen wasn't crazy about doing that at Florida, at a place like Auburn, I think that'd be a tough sell. But I do think looking ahead to the rest of this year's carousel or even next year, I mean, to me, Dan Mullen's a guy who should be on on the sideline somewhere. Maybe it's not at Auburn. Maybe it's at another place. Maybe it's potentially West Virginia. You know, heck, maybe even uh, Missouri. Maybe if if Eli Drinkowitz doesn't work out. So I, I would expect that Mullen ends up somewhere in the future. He's just too good of an offensive coach. And there's a track record of winning at two power five programs. Now I have no idea, Stephen, if this guy would be, even be interested in coming back to the SEC, but I always thought he was a really good coach, similar to, to Dan Mullen it, the wheels fell off and the and recruiting was certainly an issue. Personnel staff staffing was an issue towards the end, but Brett Bielema, he's doing a hell of a job at uh, Illinois Again, I don't really follow them, but I see that they keep winning. And I, I realize that's a weak division and everything. He's got the history at Arkansas. He he beat a lot of really good teams when he was Arkansas's head coach. What would you think about old Burt coming back to the SEC and, and landing at Auburn? I would be surprised. You know, he seems to be right at home at Illinois and, and being in the Big Ten. You know, that's kind of his roots as sort of Midwestern coach. You know, he was the head coach, of course, at Wisconsin before he came to Arkansas, uh, ties to Iowa, ties to Illinois. So I think he seems right at home in the Big Ten. I would be really surprised. You know, I think, um, you know, maybe he not necessarily learned a lesson last time when he went from Wisconsin to Arkansas. You know, it was a good opportunity and a good chance to make that jump. But I think he's just right at home in the Big Ten. And so I would be surprised if if he left uh, Illinois for uh, for Auburn. All right, last one, Stephen. Um, you know, South Carolina – I know they just suffered a bad loss, so people may not want to hear it, but the program's moving in the right direction. Arkansas, clearly under Sam Pittman, revitalized basically overnight. Those two programs, Stephen, and and I'm not necessarily putting Auburn in in their class because Auburn has competed and won for national championships and, and SEC championships far more recently than those two schools. But those two schools, Stephen, they, they looked at the landscape. It was tough to hire a coach or maybe maybe just, you know, with South Carolina having to play Clemson and the SEC, with Arkansas being a little bit of an outlier and, and the, the shenanigans with uh, Chad Morris, it was, maybe it was difficult. They tried to get Kiffin. They tried to get Drink. They couldn't get these guys. They had to go down their list. They had to get a guy that loved the school and – what are your thoughts on Auburn? Because we may see something similar, Stephen, with Auburn. For, for all the dynamics we said with, with the lack of leadership, 
Hopefully John Cohen fixes that, but you still got to play Kirby or Kirby every year. You still got to play Nick Saban every year. I mean, this is, this is an attractive job, but it's at the same point, you can argue it's one hell of a not attractive job. <laughs> as long as these two dynasties are, are at the height of their power. If Auburn has to go down their list and get a, get an alum, get someone that has a clear vision. How about a guy like uh, Georgia running back coach, Dale McGee, this is this is not my idea. I've heard it many times before, but whether it's Dale McGee or whether it's Cadillac, you know, what if Cadillac wins out as improbable as that seems? Someone like that to kind of, as long as they have a clear vision and are going to land some elite coordinators, what would your thoughts be on on them basically going the South Carolina and Arkansas route, hiring someone that typically you, you wouldn't anticipate getting this job, but maybe it's the right fit. It, it could work out for the Tigers. Yeah, I actually think, um, to your point, I've probably been a little bit more open to that idea over the last couple of years because of the success of um, Shane Beamer and Sam Pittman. Like, if you would have told me that five years ago, I probably would have win. You probably should go out and hire a coach that's been a head coach or he's been a, a high-profile coordinator. But I think what we've seen in college football is that the, the, the role of head coach has changed. You know, you're not just out there X's and O's every week scheming. You've got to be kind of the CEO. You've got to be able to navigate roster management, NIL, being able to mesh sort of your athletic department and the, um, you know, the boosters off the field, everything that goes around with, uh, you know, NIL and everything like that. So you have to do, wear a lot of hats. And so I don't think it's the worst thing to go out and hire somebody who's got sort of that who's really good at management, can go out and hire a staff like Sam Pittman, really good at doing those things. And if you, if you don't spend as much on, on your head coach, you can go out and get top-notch coordinators. So I think in Auburn's case, they can go out and hire a high-profile head coach, which is why I would be surprised if they get down the list of names um, like we're talking about. I think if you are looking for maybe a couple sleeper candidates, you know, someone like a Jeff Grimes who was there as an offensive line coach before. Um, he's been very successful as the offensive coordinator at BYU and Baylor. I think he'd be a long shot candidate, but certainly I think if you start talking about like, Hey, who are some like tier three names to get in the mix? He would be one. Jamie Chadwell, coastal Carolina uh, runs a very innovative kind of fun offense. Uh, he's from Tennessee. So he sort of gets the, the sec kind of experience thing. But, you know, I, I think all these coaches outside of the kind of the top tier that we mentioned and Matt rules name has come up too. I mean, he might even be a long shot too, just because, he doesn't really have SEC experience. So I think to me, the bottom line is, you know, what you said is true. Auburn has a lot going for it. The fact that they are willing to pay the money, they they can win a national championship. They can compete at the highest level. They're willing to win. The other factors are what you have to navigate, which is sort of the, the booster, sort of off the field, the alignment. If all that's in, in line, yeah, you are going up against Kirby and, and Nick Saban and the and the rest of the SEC, uh, but you can get a lot of talent and you can win at a high level. And which is why I think if if I had to make a list of candidates and this is just me me speculating, not me reporting anything, like I think uh, Kiffin and Freeze would be like one A and one B right now for Auburn. Mm, yeah, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll talk for weeks about this, but it, yeah, it's probably going to be the two most obvious guys going to come down to this job, but. Hey, we've got uh, some ball games, Steven, so let's enough of Auburn. I mean, they're terrible. Let's move on. We should not even – well, they, they do got a game, so we'll talk about them in a minute. But we got some real games coming up here, Steven. Tennessee at Georgia, number one versus number two, according to the AP poll. 
that could certainly change with the uh, the playoff poll coming out this evening. But uh, let's start with Tennessee, Stephen. What are the keys to landing a victory for the Tennessee Vols on the road against the defending national champions, number one in the AP poll, Georgia Bulldogs? going to give you a, a weird answer. I think it's keep doing what you're doing. I mean, what Tennessee's doing is working. And they have the nation's best offense, scoring over 40 points a game. They're averaging over seven yards per play. I think the line of scrimmage has been a really pleasant surprise for Tennessee coming in, you know, coming into this year. It was a question, but they've been, you know, they've been outstanding there. And, you know, statistically, you know, they're running the ball a little bit, you know, whatever it is, a little bit more, a little bit more productive, however you want, you want to word it. Um, but they're doing that enough. And I, and I think what's, what's hard to, to defend about Tennessee is they can hurt you so many different ways with so many weapons. I mean, they just put up 44 points against a good Kentucky uh, defense. They scored 52 on Alabama without Cedric Tillman. And now they're getting Cedric Tillman back to uh, 100%. So I, I think Tennessee has aced all of its tests so far. They won at LSU. They took care of business at Kentucky. They beat Alabama. The road in Athens, of course, is going to be a little bit tougher. But I think Tennessee really just needs to pick up where it left off and then I think on defense for Tennessee, I think you, you got to be able to stop Georgia's rushing attack, create some havoc around the line of scrimmage, and try to force Stetson Bennett into some of those mistakes that we saw on Saturday against Florida. Think about this if you're Tennessee. If you can get two takeaways and get the ball back to Hendon Hooker on short fields, that might be 14 points, and that might be enough to, to, to win what I think is going to be a close game. Now let me ask you this, Stevie, because I, I keep hearing this from Georgia people. Well, Tennessee's played Alabama – and Kirby and company, they've been able to study that film, so maybe they'll have an edge. Is that an edge for Georgia, or is that potentially an edge for Tennessee? Because I, I understand the personnel is different, but if the scheme is similar, hell, Tennessee knows how to attack, and I'm sure they'll they'll come up with some wrinkles. They're not going to do exactly what they did against Alabama, but is that really an advantage for Georgia, or uh, how do you see that shaping out? I think it plays into both a little bit. Because I think if I'm Tennessee, like I've already had a crack at Alabama. And of course, there are some similarities and, and you know, things you can take away from playing Alabama that you could take away when you play Georgia. So I, I think Tennessee has, you know, like, like we said, they've aced all the tests so far. And I think they've had that productive performance against Alabama. So they should feel confident going into this game. Being on the road in Athens, of course, compared to your home crowd in, in Knoxville is a little different. I think for Georgia the biggest thing that you could take away on defense is, hey, Alabama played them and got torched. So you know what you shouldn't do. And I think one of the biggest things that Georgia is going to have to do is the small things. They're going to have to communicate better in the secondary. Kentucky, you know, the mix-ups, I think it was twice on the same play where Tennessee's receivers just ran by the safety. You know, those are the kind of mistakes you can't have if you're Georgia. And also do the small things, like get stops on third down, get stops in the red zone, don't give up some of those big plays because sometimes when I watch Tennessee, it's almost like I don't know what defense can slow them down. You almost have to hope that Hendon Hooker just has an off day and he misses a couple passes and you can get off the field that way. So I think it works to, to give you a bad answer, Mike. I think it works both ways because I do think there is some benefit from Georgia seeing Tennessee go out and play eight times and they've already had a crack at a similar defense. Whereas Tennessee, I mean, they've, if you can score on Alabama, Kentucky, and LSU, I think I feel pretty confident you're going to be able to move the ball against Georgia. The big caveat to that is 
I think Georgia did a nice job containing Anthony Richardson in the pocket on Saturday. So I'm interested to see how that Georgia front matches up with uh, Tennessee's offensive line too. Any concern that this is only Tennessee's third road game? Uh, I realize, you know, Baton Rouge, that's a hostile place. That was an early game, but that was a little bit of a Tennessee takeover. And I, I would imagine most LSU fans went into that game saying, you know, let's see how we match up against this team, not like we're going to beat them. You know, it, it's certainly Tennessee was favored in Baton Rouge. I, I can't remember the last time that happened. And then again, the, the pit game was away, and that was a game. I know it was early. Tennessee's much better now than they were then, but Tennessee could have lost that game. So any concern for you, Stephen, that this is uh, the only the third road test of the season for the Vols? I, I don't think I'm necessarily concerned about the total I'm more concerned about if I was Tennessee about the environment. Like I, I think Athens is just a really difficult place to play. So I think it's more about, you know, a very hostile crowd. And especially if Tennessee, Tennessee, I think if they get off to a fast start, and that's one of the things I think when you watch Tennessee is that they almost like can stun you because before you know it, you're down 14 to three or 14 to nothing. You take the crowd out of the game, much like they did against LSU that could work in Tennessee's favor. So I think because Tennessee just has so much experience on both sides of the ball, Hendon Hooker has kind of the, the slow heartbeat that nothing seems to phase him, whether it's the pass rush or the or the road environment. He doesn't make mistakes either. So I, I'm not worried about being Tennessee's third road game. I would just be worried about, hey, you're going into a really hostile environment, and if Georgia takes the lead earlier, it's only going to get tougher from there. How impressive is it, Stephen, that Tennessee seems to dictate decisions week in and week out from the other coaches whether it's Billy Napier I mean just going balls to the wall you know he refuses to kick field goals making stupid two-point conversion decisions uh Brian Kelly you know making stupid fourth down conversions I think Nick Saban you know at the end of that game refusing to run the ball I don't maybe he was just scared to death that you know they had to score they had to get close uh Mark Stoops uh you know, the, the game plan, is, it just seems week in and week out, Stephen. Tennessee, their offense, how effective it is, how high pay, you know, fast and and explosive it is. These coaches, it's like they it's like they get scared to death when they get out there. I'm certainly not suggesting Kirby's going to be scared, but if Tennessee dictates this game, when I'm talking tempo and pace and all that, like I think Tennessee's going to win this game. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the hard parts about playing Tennessee is, you know, they can dictate the pace and because of the tempo and because if they get ahead, it's really hard to to stop them. I mean, we we, we just talked about how they just put up the over 50 points in Alabama, uh, took care of business against LSU and Kentucky, and those are pretty good defenses. And, and so it, it is challenging. And when this is why I think Georgia needs to get up early and take the lead and sort of force Tennessee out of their element. Because if Tennessee takes control of this game, they're scoring kind of at will. The pace of the game is really fast and you're not getting stops. If you're Georgia, that's, that's a real kind of danger zone right there. Whereas if you're Georgia, you come out, maybe you can get a couple long drives, you get a three and out, you're sort of controlling the game. You're not, your defense isn't, you know, uh, you're struggling in the fourth quarter to keep up with the pace. I like Georgia's odds a lot more in that game. So that's that's a challenge when you face Tennessee is they can hurt you so many different ways when you're better running. You got a quarterback who can make uh, all the right reads in the scheme. He can hurt you with his legs. Uh, you have you know three or four great receivers in the scheme, and then the offensive line has stepped up. They can just hurt you so many ways. 
And because of the pace and because of their ability to pretty much score from every, anywhere in the field, I think that's, that's why you see coaches, uh, you know, make those decisions. You, you almost have to go into the game thinking, Hey, we're going to have to score 40 points to probably win this game. Yeah. And I can hear people now, Stevens quit slobbering on Tennessee. Mike, let's talk Georgia. Number one for a reason. I mean, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, they could legitimately have like 300 receiving yards in this game because Tennessee's, they're not going to have a single player that matches up with these guys. Uh, how critical are those two pieces for Georgia in this matchup? Huge, significant. Um, I, I don't know if that's if that's uh, important, you know, if I'm not emphasizing it enough for either team. Because I think if you're Tennessee, like you've got to find a way to make somebody other than Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington beat you. If, uh, you know, if A.D. Mitchell comes back and Lad McConkey and those guys beat you, you take your hat off and say congrats. But if, if Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington have a huge game here for Georgia, it's tough to see Tennessee winning. And it's not just that they're so good in the open field. They're just hard to match up with. Like I, I, they're hard to defend because they move so well. They're so physically impressive. And we saw the catch on uh Saturday against Florida. So for me, I think that if you're Tennessee, you let other people other than those two guys beat you. I don't know how you do it because Tennessee's just been so porous against the pass. I know they had a great game against Kentucky, on uh, on Saturday, but I'm betting that Georgia's OL uh, will hold up a lot better than uh, than Kentucky's did. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced that, Steve, because to, in my opinion, uh, Georgia's offensive line far and away the best Tennessee will have seen this season, um, and, and it really seems like they are getting that ground game going several weeks in a row. Do you, do you agree with all that? 100%. I think that's that's a reason to like Georgia's chances in this game is we go back to tempo and we talk about pace and controlling the game, you know, time of possession is kind of overrated, but I think I'll take my chances by putting, you know, putting Georgia's running backs and offensive line into a position where they can control the pace of the game. And maybe you wear out Tennessee's defense in the fourth quarter, especially if you can get a couple stops and uh, of Tennessee's offense and keep them on the fields. And, and, in the big picture, like this is the question with Georgia is they have all the pieces to win it. They dominated Oregon in the first game of the year. You know, it, they have that extra gear that they can reach. And it, it feels like they might be getting there. But I think we'll find out more this Saturday of whether or not all those pieces that we've talked about all year are ready to come together. And I like what they've done on the ground and on the offensive line uh, this last couple weeks of the season. And how dangerous do you think it is, Stephen, that uh, I would imagine all week all non-Georgia people are going to be saying, well, Tennessee's going to have a major advantage at quarterback when this explosive offense, and here Georgia's got a guy that was MVP of the Orange Bowl, MVP of the National Championship game. He's something like 27-3 and three as a starting quarterback, yet he's going to be somewhat of an afterthought going into this matchup. Um, I, I would imagine Tennessee is, is going to, force Stetson to beat him and he is fully capable of doing that uh and you just you, you just mentioned it I mean that last week was incredible what Tennessee's defense did against Will Levis but I think he's banged up I think his receiver is a little bit banged up his, the offensive line is is horrible could this be a game where Stetson Bennett goes off and I don't know what the numbers would be but maybe like 300 yards four touchdowns something like that yeah, I, I'm expecting a big game from Stetson Bennett on, on Saturday. And I, I hate to be like Captain Obvious and say that, but, you know, Tennessee's just been so bad against the past that 
I expect that he'll have a lot of time to throw. I expect him to find open receivers. I expect Kirby Smart to tell him all week, hey, you're the number two quarterback in this game. It look at you know, he's gonna print off every Heisman poll that's on the internet and print it up in the locker room. And it shows <laughs> Hinden Hooker is at the top of the Heisman list and nobody believes in Stetson Bennett. And hey, every time that happens, he delivers and he delivered it, like you said, in the playoffs. So I expect that uh, you know, much like he has throughout the career of his career at Georgia, Bennett will be doubted. And he'll probably deliver on Saturday. That's why he's the mailman after all. <laughs> yep. The podcast is brought to you by Fubo TV. Fubo TV gives you complete coverage of college and pro football with NFL Red Zone also included, plus games in 4K at no extra charge. If you want to be like me and get rid of cable, Fubo TV could be your solution over hundreds of channels of live sports and entertainment for only a fraction of the cost of cable. Watch on all your devices with a cloud-based DVR, up to a 1,000 hours of cloud-based DVR included in this. There's no contract, no commitment. You can cancel at any time. And right now, Fubo TV is giving you free Fubo for seven days and get a 15% off your first month if you go to FuboTV.com slash SEC, that's F-U-B-O-T-V.com slash SEC. You can try it for free for seven days and get 15% off your first month. All right, and then we've got another epic clash here, Stephen. Alabama at LSU. Uh, let's focus on Alabama first. Of course, uh, you know, as well as Jaden Daniels is playing, and he's playing incredible for LSU. Had, I've said it many times before. I think he's the most valuable player to his team in the SEC. He ain't Bryce Young. Bryce Young's on a different level. Um, the thoughts on Alabama heading into this matchup with two weeks to prepare. Uh, but again, it was a week ago we were talking here, Stephen. You said, well, Hell, Mississippi State statistically outplayed Alabama. That It was an interesting game. Um, it, this is a tough spot, I think, because it's a night game. It's on the road. We've seen Alabama beat itself. I don't want to say I don't want to say beat itself, but hell, penalties were an issue at Texas, and obviously at Tennessee, cost them the ball game. If they play like that again, if they have all these tur- uh, penalties and, and a turnover here, there could just be one turnover. I fully think LSU can win this football game. What's your thoughts on that? I agree with you. Uh, I, I think if this game was in Tuscaloosa, I think we we'd probably see the spread at maybe 17 points. Um, I'm a little surprised it's it's 13. It feels a little high uh, on first evaluation in, in this game. I, I think the the reason if you're LSU to believe that you can win this game is two things. I think it's the way that Jaden Daniels was playing against Ole Miss in Florida. Maybe the the off week came at the worst possible time because he was red hot. In those games and, you know, LSU's uh, defensive adjustments against Ole Miss, um, the way they adjusted after falling behind uh, was really nice. And I think if you're LSU, you have to be very optimistic about kind of how this team has progressed since the start of the season. It's on the road. Uh, and we've seen what Alabama has done on the road uh, for the last two years. You mentioned it. They they almost lost to Texas. Um, they lost to Tennessee. Even dating back to 2021, they had problems. So I think if I'm LSU, that's where I start my list of of reasons to be optimistic. Jaden Daniels, those receivers, and the fact that the game is at night 
in Death Valley. Uh, you know you're going to get a very loud LSU crowd, and Alabama has struggled with that. So I, I th- those would be the two biggest reasons for optimism if I'm LSU. Do you think this could potentially be a low-scoring game, though, Stephen? Because I would imagine LSU's defensive line going up against Alabama's offensive line in Death Valley, that matchup favors the Tigers, whereas Alabama's front seven versus LSU's offensive line, I think – I don't care where the game's played, Stephen. I think that's a matchup that clearly favors Alabama. So this could be a little bit of a train wreck of uh, of offensive line play. What's your thoughts on that? Absolutely, yeah. It's almost like we're going to see Tennessee and Georgia probably you know, both threaten 40 points on Saturday, and this game is probably going to be played at a, at a much different level. Um, it could end up in the 40s or so for both teams, but I would be surprised. I think to your point – we're going to talk a lot about Bryce Young. We're going to talk about Jaden Daniels and all the skilled talent that's going to be in this game. But I think the lines of scrimmage are where this game is going to be decided. You know, can LSU with the crowd noise and the pass rush of Ojolari and some of those other guys, can they cause havoc? I mean, we've seen it bother Alabama before. Bryce Young has had two weeks to get even healthier from the, the shoulder injury. I expect that he's going to play well, but I think LSU's front can cause some problems. On the other side of things, I mean, Mike, you mentioned it. I mean, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, those, those Alabama linebackers going up against uh, LSU's offensive line seems like a mismatch uh, for LSU. So I, I that's where Jaden Daniels' mobility could really come into play here um, and doing some things with his legs, moving him around in the pocket and getting those receivers involved. So I, maybe if you're LSU, you could study that Tennessee tape and see if there's some things you could do on offense, maybe to to mimic some of the things that Tennessee's done well against Alabama. And do you think special teams could play a, a factor in this outcome? I mean, LSU at times has just been dreadful on special teams. Alabama, they've missed some big kicks this season. Uh, could, you know, a disaster here or there, could that cost either one of these teams this game? Absolutely. I think especially if you're LSU, you, you don't – I think – you're LSU, you're the underdog in this game. You don't have the margin for error that Alabama does. I mean, a- Alabama's the better team. They come into this game favored. They've got Bryce Young and Will Anderson, two of the top five players in, in college football. If you're LSU, the roster's still under construction, but you're definitely making progress. And, and you cannot afford to have a fumble on a punt, um, a blocked punt. And, and I think if you're Alabama, too, I mean, field goals, I mean, we've seen them the, you know, at, at Tennessee, it was a problem. So, yeah, I think special teams, if you're looking for the X factor on Saturday, if the game is close, a turnover or two might decide it. And we've seen LSU have some issues on special teams. That's something that uh, Brian Polian and uh, Brian Kelly will have to get addressed for this week. Now, this may be looking ahead a little too far, Stephen, but let's just say LSU wins this game. Because without, I mean, at times Bryce Young's had to been like incredible, incredible, like making, you know, on the run throws that that are Aaron Rodgers could barely make you know what I mean and yet Alabama's either barely winning or even losing when he's playing like that so I don't think it's too hard to imagine if he's just you know shows up with his B game and they drop is the dynasty dead <laughs> that may be too far but you know does Alabama strike fear do you think in these SEC teams because I'm not seeing it here lately and again if you lose two road games and you got Ole Miss on deck which is no they just want a big one themselves I mean I mean it's not insane to say Alabama could drop three conference games this year um what's your thoughts on that it would be surprising 
for to see Alabama lose like two in a row on the road, but I don't think it's crazy to think that they're more vulnerable than they have been. I think you mentioned it there. The thing that stands out to me is when watching Alabama, I mean, Bryce Young has to be, you know, Superman sometimes in the fourth quarter to win some of these games. And the Alabama just seems to be playing more close games than, than they have. And also I think if you're LSU, you could look and go, Hey, uh, Tennessee beat them earlier this year. Last year was Texas A&M. Georgia beat them in the national championship. I, I, I don't, I don't think maybe, maybe the psychology works in LSU's favor that they see other teams beating Goliath in the SEC and they say, "Hey, we've got them coming to our place now, and now we can try and knock them off." So I, I think Alabama is more vulnerable than they have been, and I think looking ahead, you know, this game means a lot for the SEC West. Uh, but you've got the lane train with two weeks to get ready in Oxford. Uh, you know, I don't think we should you know, write Alabama and Penn for the SEC championship game just yet. I think we got to see them get past Ole Miss. Mm. All right. How about this one, Stephen? Florida at Texas A&M. My God, I, I said this on yesterday's show, Stephen, but it's the loser is going to be one in five in the SEC. That is just unacceptable. Um, man, I mean, and I realized Billy Napier in year one, so you know, we give him a little bit of a pass, but still, that's not the standard in Gainesville. Jimbo, we, we've kind of kicked that guy to, to death, so I'm not going to sit here and do that anymore. But, um, you know, this is this is two teams with, with a lot of talent. They've not lived up to it. But let me ask you this, Steve, because this is something I was thinking about today. Anthony Richardson, so much hype. We've seen him play incredibly at times, but he's obviously too inconsistent for a lot of people's likings. We've only seen Connor Wigman in two games and only one start. He looked incredible in that one start, albeit against a uh, you know a pretty bad Ole Miss defense. If I was to tell you right now, Stephen, it, you know this was like some kind of fantasy football world. You could build around Anthony Richardson, or you could build up around Connor Wigman. Who are you taking? I play college fantasy football. I don't. That probably like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shows you how much of a college football sicko. Uh, I am. If you're asking about college fantasy football, I want Anthony Richardson for his mobility. Uh, but I think long term, um, you know, it's it's tough to call because I think when I watch Anthony Richardson, you know, I see a lot of I see the arm talent and then I see some throws where it's like if you just put a little bit more air on it, a little bit more touch, you could land those. And so I would probably pick Connor Wagman, I guess, if I'm looking like to start a quarterback long term. But, you know, I'm I, I will say this. I'm fairly optimistic that Billy Napier is going to get this figured out in Gainesville. Um, I don't think that the roster was built Apparently to you didn't win. hear that reporter today. Did you hear that? I did. <laughs> I did hear that. Yeah. Oh, man. Nice. Thank you for the hot mic moment there. That was great. Um, no, I, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty optimistic about Napier because I think he gets it in the SEC. And I think it's just going to take some time to recruit. I think if you want to make an optimistic case for um, – for Anthony Richardson in the scenario you mentioned there, I think he's gotten better since last season. Now the bar wasn't set very high, but he's better. And I think if you go out and get some playmakers around him, you know, some guys who are as good as maybe Evan Stewart is going to be, um, then I think you could see the offense jump. And especially with another off season to work under Billy Napier. My biggest question with A&M is, you know, we've seen, um, you know, Haynes King, we've seen Max Johnson. Now we've seen Connor Wagman. I think he's easily the best of the three quarterbacks. I mean, what he did on Saturday in his uh, first start and against an SEC opponent was really impressive. Now can you build something for the rest of the year and 2023 that continues to to build on that? So I, 
maybe it's a bad answer. Maybe I'm just too patient. But if I was Florida, I wouldn't sell my my Anthony Richardson stock just yet. Right. So why I, you know my question obvious is why in the hell's we've been not been playing more? And and let me ask you this, Stevie, because this is something I asked cousin Shane on the last episode. Let's say. And, and I mean, they're they're celebrating. They scored 28 points in a ball game down there in College Station with, you know, one of the top rosters in the country going up against a, a, one of the worst defenses in the SEC. If they continue to to trend well with with Wagman under center, could that ultimately be a bad thing? Because then Jimbo's going to sit here and say, "Well, we, we got this. this. This offense is great. We got a quarterback, and then we're going to get the same old, same old next season." Yes. That is my fear if I'm Texas A&M. My fear is, hey, we do too well, Jimbo says. I've got this ridiculous buyout. I don't have to listen to anybody else. Um, if I if I want to call the plays and keep building the offense, I can do that. I don't have to listen to any of you guys. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there is a case of where you're A&M if you want to win these games and also maybe put a little bit of pressure on Jimbo somehow, like maybe the offense sputters late in the year. If you look at their schedule, they get – you know, Florida at Auburn, UMass, and then LSU. I think they can get the six wins out of that. Like, it's not going to be easy, but I think they're favored against Florida. I think they'll be favored at Auburn, and they should take care of business against UMass. But, yeah, I there's a fine line between success and having um, a better offense the last month of the season and then thinking ahead to 2023. I think we have enough data and we have enough evidence on Jimbo that – he needs to give up play calling and sort of modernize the offense. Um, that that would be that'd be my hope if I'm A and M is that there's enough smart people at the school with boosters and everybody else that just comes to him and say, look, you got to do it, and that and that they make a change for next year at offensive coordinator and force Jimbo to uh, to give up play calling duties. If he's really trying to get uh, that that buyout m- money, maybe he'll hire Marcus Satterfield to be his uh, offensive coordinator. But let me let me ask you this matchup, Stephen. Florida, I mean, they're a machine on the on the ground. They got a three headed monster with with obviously Anthony Richardson, Montreal Johnson, and Etn, the freshman. A and M all of a sudden they've fallen apart on defense. Can't stop the run. They they were like two yards away, Stephen, from giving up more rushing yards than they've given up in their program history. And I realize Ole Miss is also a rushing machine, so you know that's skewed a little bit. But do you think Florida can make this competitive uh, with their ground game? You, obviously, you want Anthony Richardson to show up and be as good as he can, but even if he's not, they may be able to pound A&M into submission. Thoughts on that? Agree with you. Yeah, I think that's where if I'm Florida, you have to chart a, a winning path. Is you know you have to be able to run um, you know Etn Richardson and Montreal Johnson. And I, I like the fact if I'm Florida that ETN seems to be getting more involved. Like he seems to be like one of those guys that going for, going forward, Florida needs more of. They need more guys who can be explosive with the ball in their hands. And, and he's certainly one of them. And with the way that AM played uh, against the run against Ole Miss, giving up, uh, you know, whatever, how many yards it was, you know, they're going to be vulnerable there on, on Saturday. I, I think it's probably going to be hard for Florida, much like we saw on Saturday. I know they hit a few, big plays, but to have that consistency through the air. So if Florida's going to win this game, it's going to have to be on the on the ground game with Richardson and the two backs leading the way. Mm. All right, now, how about this one, Stephen? Kentucky at Missouri, is this going to be like first one to 14 points wins it? 
I was going to say, if you're looking at uh, at some over-unders this week, or maybe you want to get in on the wager app like <laughs> I am, uh, maybe you want to uh, take the under, perhaps, because Kentucky <laughs> and Missouri is probably not going to be uh, many points here. You know, it is, it, it's a, it's shaping enough to be, I think, a pretty close game. And I think you're right. Like, first one to 20, 24 might be enough. Missouri, that win last week was huge just when you start thinking about bowl eligibility and trying to get to six wins. Like they need to steal one or two of these. And this is another opportunity to do so. Also not a great matchup for Kentucky's offensive line. And especially with the way Missouri gets after you in terms of sack production, tackles for loss, they had trouble last week against Tennessee. I think Missouri can create some, some problems there as well. So really is probably going to be one of the lower scoring games in the SEC this week. It, it may not it may not match the uh, Missouri South Carolina over under, but it's definitely going to be low scoring. Yeah, now it, it seems like Chris Chris Rodriguez is banged up. Will Levis has been banged up for a while. Maybe that's playing into why he's playing so poorly. I don't know, Stephen. Where's the psychology of this team? Do you think after losing to Tennessee, they're going to lose to Georgia, uh, unless some miracle happens? Uh, I mean that. What have they got left to play for there in Lexington, aside from pride? I, I'm very, very concerned this is going to be a, a letdown performance. And if, if memory serves, Stephen, they've not, they're not even been successful uh, on their road trips against Missouri. Yeah, I think it's like Kentucky has won six out of the last seven overall, but I think three of the four, last four in this series decided by one score. Like It's usually been pretty close uh, between these t- two teams. So that goes to your point of, you know, playing Missouri well, I, I think if if I'm Kentucky, yeah, I would be sort of worried about psychology. You're coming off the loss to Tennessee, and it was a convincing fashion. You have a team that's banged up. Not to mention, I mean, um, you know, Mark Stoops this you know, week at his press conference kind of putting the pressure uh, on Scangranella to figure it out offensively, maybe to try and simplify some things. It really starts at the line of scrimmage, though, for Kentucky. If if, the, if Missouri is, is getting into the backfield creating negative plays and Kentucky's in third and long all game, even though if, even if Will Levis at 80% with the good playmakers that they have at receiver, it's not a great recipe. So I'm it's really, this game might be about who can avoid so many negative plays because both of these offenses have trouble staying on schedule. So that, that kind of goes to our discussion on low scoring game. This, I think Will Levis is the better quarterback here, uh, but it, Couple plays, big play or turnover to might tilt this one in, in one favor. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Stephen, because Brady Cook, I thought he played one of the best games he's played. You know, heck, he, I thought he played pretty well against Georgia too. Uh, but you know, if if they can get a consistent performance out of Brady Cook, that the offense, I mean, South Carolina's defense is no joke, and they were very effective. But let me ask you this: uh, after seeing Drink's offense for a couple of years at, at different places as well as Missouri. Does he know you're allowed to throw the ball 10 yards down the field? I mean, everything's a damn dink and dunk and and jet sweep and, and all this. Um, do you think that's because the offensive line is, is so questionable? Or what, what the hell's going on with that? I think it's an offensive line thing for sure. I mean, Missouri probably, if you if you ranked offensive lines in the SEC, Missouri's definitely, uh, you know, at 12th, 13th, 14th, depending on which metric you use. I think that's a big part of it. I think it's just pass protection 
not being able to, you know, let the quarterback stay in the pocket for too long. I think, you know, going forward, one of the things for me is, and Mike, maybe you and I need to start an online petition or something, but we got to get Luther Bird in the ball and we got to get the ball to him 10 or 15 times a game, man, because, you know, he's just, he's just such a different, you know, playmaker. When you watch Missouri, like he's so explosive with the ball in his hands and for him to, you know, to only touch the ball a couple of times just isn't enough, but Broadly, to your point, I thought that was one of the better games that Brady Cook has played. They really used that short passing game effectively, and they set up a couple of those deep shots to to love it. So that was a nice game plan against a pretty good defense uh, for Missouri. I, we'll see if they can have the same success against Kentucky's de- defense this week, but that was the right way to win last week. Well, and, and speaking of South Carolina, Stephen, they play at Vanderbilt, and, and that spread, it opened only as a touchdown favorite in favor of uh, the Gamecocks on the road, of course. But this is a game, Stephen, where Vanderbilt nearly knocked off South Carolina at home last season. They needed some late-game heroics by Connor Nolan. who He's going to be a trivia question years down the line for GA becoming quarterback here. But, um, you know, now all of a sudden, Gamecocks, they're not going to fire Bieber, but I mean, we went from cloud nine, we're ranked, we're five and two. Now it's like, oh my God, we got, why we got this coordinator, Spencer Rattler's not getting it done, this, that, and the other. Uh, I mean, I'm not putting Beamer on the hot seat, but if, but I don't think it's out of the question that they drop this game. They shouldn't, but I'm sitting here thinking, hell, if they lose to Missouri at home, they can potentially lose to Vanderbilt. And it's almost... It's almost like so much pressure now, everybody going to play Vanderbilt, where you cannot lose to this team. Otherwise, you're going to be a damn laughing stock of the league. Uh, how much pressure is on South Carolina to get this, this win in Nashville? A lot. Because I think if you look at their schedule coming up, you know they go to Florida, they get Tennessee, and they go to Clemson to close the season. I think they'll probably be, for sure, underdogs in two of those. I think they'll be an underdog of Florida they got to get Vanderbilt, I think, if they want to go to a bowl game. I, I think to your point, you know, they were we were really high, I think, on South Carolina, but also kind of opening up the hood after the game against um, Texas A&M. And when you looked under there, you saw that, you know, they were outgained by A&M, the special teams, the turnovers, like the margin for error by South Carolina in some of these games, they're right there on the edge. And they can't you can't live off of turnovers and defensive and special team scores. So they needed more out of their offense. And even knowing all that, I thought for sure at home, they would take care of business against Missouri. Uh, Obviously I was very wrong about that. So they got to get this one. But, you know, when you look at this, Vanderbilt's only a seven point dog at home. And it was also one of the closest games that Vanderbilt played in the SEC, like you mentioned uh, last year. So I don't think it's crazy to think that Vanderbilt can win this game. I mean, they, they're better in year two under Clark Lee. They're not there yet. Um, they have 48 tackles for a loss this year. Can they cause some havoc much like Missouri did last week against South Carolina's offensive line? So I think this is a very gettable game for Vanderbilt and, and why you see the point spread right around a touchdown. If they fail to score 30 po- well that's a, that's not a lot of points but for Vandy that's that would be if they if they fail to score 28 points against Vanderbilt which all due respect they they got the worst unit in the in the conference I think with their defense it's you know they they got some nice pieces coming but their offense way better than their defense if South Carolina can't score 28 on this defense should they fire Marcus Satterfield on Sunday 
I think so. I mean, I think they need to move on at the end of the year. I mean, right. I uh, I sort of got a good laugh. You've been trying to fire them for about a month anyway, so I, I should have <laughs> yeah. known you were going to say that. Yeah, right. yeah I uh, I, I kind of got a good laugh out of uh, Cousin Shane tweeting out the, the play that it was a screen and then it was a screen <laughs> on, uh, against Missouri. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's too boring. It's very predictable. Um, I think there are some personnel deficiencies, but I think if you're South Carolina – you know, if you want to get from here to here in the SEC, you've got to get better on offense. Also, I think if you study what South Carolina and let's use Tennessee as an example, the term proof of concept is is important when it comes to new coaches. And, and what I mean by that is if you come in and you have a lot of hype behind the hire, a lot of good things in the offseason, it has to translate onto the field at some point or your tenure starts to go back. I'm not suggesting that's what's happening with South Carolina, but I think at some point, you know, they got to a bowl game last year. They exceeded expectations. They need to get to one this year. You have to put proof of concept together and start showing improvement on offense to take that next step step forward, because at some point you sort of level off. It feels like South Carolina is still going up. And if they want to continue to go up, they've got to make changes on offense and get it to the next level. So that would be my concern about South Carolina is can they find the right mix at coordinator uh, for next season? If it's Satterfield, what kind of changes can he make? South Carolina was really attractive in the portal to a lot of receivers. And of course, Spencer Rattler, that's all in danger of going away. If you don't make improvement and put forth some sort of better vision on offense, is that, is that crazy to think? No, that's a really good point. So let me ask you this. Speaking of the portal, someone that's going to have to hit it hard, Stephen, Auburn at Mississippi State. We, you know, it's, it's almost it's impossible to tell what Auburn's going to look like now because Harson's gone. But early reports, they're saying they're going to run the hell out of the ball. So I got to thank God. Let's get take the ball. Let's get him involved here. Uh, this was the game last season. Um, I was foolish enough. I don't know if it was during this game. I think it was, they had just beaten Arkansas. Yeah, and they were up 28 to 3. I said, man, Brian Harson, we got to put him up for SEC Coach of the Year. And <laughs> they lost five in a row. But hey, so there's history here. Uh, this is the first time Mississippi State's been favored by a dozen over Auburn, probably in their existence. Uh, I mean, is this, is this going to be a, an easy win for Mississippi State? What's your thoughts? I don't know if it'll be easy. Um, and it's it's sort of a weird trend in college football. If you look at teams that have made a coaching change this year, the team, the interim coaches give the team a bounce right away, whether it's week one or week two. There is a little bit of caveat to that. And some of those teams had an off week to get ready. Some of those coaches, I think it's fair to say, like, how well were they playing before? Auburn wasn't playing great, but they also weren't just getting run out of the stadiums. I mean, they were competing against um, Ole Miss just a few weeks ago. So, you know, I think they were fighting under the the last staff uh, under Harson, and of course they've made some other coaching changes too. I think that's something that I'm trying to figure out. Like if I'm Auburn, like who's who's going to be calling the plays, who's going to be in charge of the offense. Um, that would be an X factor going into this game. But hey, Cadillac's the head coach. I think we can make a list of players who need to be involved more. It's Luther Burden and Take Bigsby this year in the SEC. I expect a heavy dose of him. And then I think if you're Auburn on defense, can you sort of use that front to to slow down um, Will Rogers and that Mississippi State pass rush? So, hey, interim coaches have given teams a, a bump. So I think if you're Auburn, maybe optimistically, 
that question that was hanging over the program is no longer there. And maybe they can just go out, play loose and on the road where they're 13, 14 point favorite. Hey, they've got nothing to to lose behind a coach that uh, they should play, probably play pretty hard for. I mean, it's kind of impossible to tell because Mississippi State's been so inconsistent. But, uh, you know, they desperately need to get this one because they, they, they've got some key games down the stretch hosting Georgia in the evening. I mean, you, I mean, they're going to be probably 20 point underdog at home. So I'm not suggesting that they can win that game, but hell crazier things can happen. But I don't think there's any shot if they don't get this one that they can get that one. They've got to get that ball rolling. And just imagine, Stephen, if they do beat them, then they set up just an incredible, incredible egg bowl towards the tail end of the season. So still a lot to play for for Mississippi State, but they've got to show some consistency. What will you be looking for the Bulldogs in this matchup? Yeah, I think that's right, Mike. I think consistency for sure, because I mean, we see them after uh, the game against Arkansas looked really good in that game, came down to earth on the road against Kentucky. And I think it really is sort of a, you know, consistency, putting it all together. You look at their remaining schedule the rest of the year after this game against Auburn. You mentioned the game against Georgia and Ole Miss. They have East Tennessee State, so they should get to a bowl game. But I think if you want to sort of exceed preseason expectations, take the program up a notch you know it's getting to that seven sort of win mark and so that that kind of counts on beating auburn this week getting east tennessee state and then you set up maybe uh, a showdown against Ole miss with maybe a chance to jump back in the top 25 if you win that game on thanksgiving Mm. now final game here steven held off on this one uh, not because i don't think it's going to be a great matchup but just because it's a non-conference here liberty at arkansas a lot on the line for old Hugh Freeze and, and company here by and Sam Pittman. I mean, you can't be losing to Liberty. This is a weird place to put this game. Liberty's ranked, but they're a 14-point underdog in this matchup. So, so maybe a little extra motivation for Liberty and company. What can you tell us about this Liberty team under Hugh Freeze? Yeah, I think the first thing is Hugh Freeze. <laughs> and you know they've <laughs> Liberty has gotten quite a bit better under Hugh Freeze. You mentioned it; they're seven and one. Uh, they're ranked in some top twenty-five. They're so thirty-three and twelve under Hugh Freeze. I think in, in comparison to Cincinnati, you know, that, I think that's a good kind of line of marcation for Arkansas. I don't think Liberty is as good as as Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is a better team. So if, I think if you're Arkansas, that's probably why uh, the spread is thirteen. You know, they've also played a Power Five team this year. They played Wake Forest. They lost by a point. I would also give you a little bit of caution about reading too much into that game because Wake Forest played Clemson the next week. So I wondered if, if Wake Forest was just simply looking past Liberty to get to Clemson. Um, but they they are very capable of keeping this game closer than, I think, 13 points. Uh, from pretty balanced from a team perspective. You know, offensively, you look at some of the weapons they have. Day-Day Hunter is a good running back who transferred in from Hawaii. Demario Douglas at receivers is another playmaker to watch. Their quarterback situation is really interesting. Uh, you may remember Caden Salter, uh, another old friend of the SEC. He's been banged up. They also have Charlie Brewer, who was at Baylor. He was at Utah. Uh, he's He could be coming back from injury. But Jonathan Bennett has been their starting quarterback uh, the last couple games. So they sort of had a revolving door at quarterback. But overall, they've been productive on offense, been pretty solid on defense. If you're Arkansas, some maybe some areas that you could take advantage of, they have been giving the ball away pretty generously uh, this year. So lost turnovers and also pass protection. They've given up 23 sacks. So if you're Arkansas, line of scrimmage, 
and a couple takeaways should be a pretty good formula uh, to win this game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if you're Auburn, Stephen, if Liberty beats Arkansas on the road when you couldn't beat Arkansas at home last week, I mean, you got to just turn around and hire Hugh. And I, 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 I've seen reports, you know, he just got a new extension at Liberty. From what I understand, what that extension did was lower his buyout. So, I mean, some some maneuvering there. And who knows if he even signed that damn deal because he's, these agents like to share this information and then people run with it. It's all part of the plan, Stephen. But let me ask you this. Should Arkansas, the way they're running the ball, the way they're throwing it, I mean, their offense is is hitting high gear once again. Should should Liberty give, give them any resistance whatsoever as long as, uh, as long as they don't turn the ball? I know Auburn's been having some fumbling issues. Or excuse me, Arkansas has been having some fumbling issues. But aside from that, does Liberty stop have any uh, shot at, at stopping this Arkansas attack? You know, I think if Arkansas shows up, much like they did against BYU, they should win this game. I think, but what worries me for Arkansas is kind of the, the sandwich effect. You know, they just went on the road and beat Auburn. Now they've got uh, LSU, Ole Miss, and Missouri to close out the season. And you're playing a Liberty team that, yeah, even though they're ranked, you know, the advanced metrics have them down in the seventies and, you know, you can sort of look at some of their results and they only beat Gardner Webb by a point. Like they seem to play up and play down to teams this year. And that makes them hard to, to read into, but you know, they're coming off an off week. So they've had some time to get ready for this game. And I think that's why it makes it dangerous for Arkansas. Is some of those me- set up metrics about this game is the, the time off and the SEC schedule uh, for Arkansas. But if they show up and play their A game and Jefferson and Sanders with the edge, I think Arkansas has at the line of scrimmage, they should win this game. If Liberty wins, you can bet for sure. Uh, Hugh Freeze is uh, sending the uh, the U up text to the Auburn uh, family there. <laughs> and final thing I got for you, Stephen. Um, you know, pr- assuming Arkansas wins this game, they they do have um, LSU and Ole Miss coming up, both at home, both after facing Alabama. You know, so much was made about Arkansas and how daunting their schedule is, and it it, it is. I'm not sitting here saying it was an easy slate, but does the back half does that set up? very well for Arkansas considering they're getting these games at home considering they may you know there's a very good likelihood they they're both coming off losses playing Alabama uh to me that sets up very well for the Razorbacks it really does and not to mention you get Ole Miss a week before they play Mississippi State so you sort of get the look ahead from that game I love the way Arkansas schedule sets up and and you and I have talked before that you know, they had that rough patch in the middle of the season, but there were some factors in there. I mean, they played Alabama. They had the crazy loss to AM. KJ Jefferson didn't play against Mississippi State. They have a chance with that schedule and the timing and the home games and the and that the, they keep pick up where they left off against Auburn. You know, they have a chance, I think, to finish in the top 25. So I don't know that they'll win all those games, but I think you start looking, I mean, three out of the four at home. And your road game in there is against the Missouri team. You'll probably be favored to win. I I think that sets up well for Arkansas to finish fast. So if I'm if I'm a Razorback fan, I feel pretty optimistic about my chances of getting back into the top twenty five, finishing with eight, maybe nine wins this year. All right, Stephen, I really appreciate all the time you've given me. Uh, before you go, can you remind the audience where to find all your outstanding work? Absolutely, at at Aflon Stephen on Twitter. You can also check out my writings at aflonsports.com. My YouTube channel is all CFB365. And 
If you like talking college football, swing by Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, Twitter spaces. I uh, would love to have some fans come by and talk some SEC with us. Uh, so 11 a.m. Eastern time, Monday mornings, come hang out with us on Twitter spaces. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. I hope you guys appreciate those conversations as much as I do. They really are the highlight of my Monday evening. That's when we record those. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We got Cousin Shane, the Tennessee Homer, coming back. We're going to be previewing all these matchups upcoming. We've got tons of great games. Shane, he wants to talk his candidates for the Auburn job. So I can't wait to hear what the homers got to say on this one so uh (laughs) should be a good one on tomorrow's episode but i want to appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to support the show we'll catch you on the next one